We are going to look in Matthew chapter 5, and as many of you know, when we take the Lord's Supper, I, I try to make sure that we are looking at something that is going, at a scripture that is going to help us prepare to take the Lord's Supper, and at the end of that um, passage, our time of studying together, which will be a little shorter today, we will um, participate in the Lord's Supper. And I will tell you now, I'll remind you a little bit later, that um, we do ask that if you're going to take the Lord's Supper with us, that you be a, someone who has put your faith in Jesus, you have been saved, you have been baptized in, in the local church. Um, we ask that you follow those steps of obedience before you uh, share the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, but we, we don't police that, it's just that we want you to, uh, that, that would be like minimal qualifications. And then also we ask that you believe that you are ready with the right heart to take the Lord's Supper. And maybe right this second, you don't have the right heart. But that's why we're going to spend the next 20 to 30 minutes um, making sure that we are prepared to take the Lord's Supper, that we do have a right heart. And so if you will, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And many of you are familiar with Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives this incredible, um, just, you know, if, whether it was one sermon or whether Matthew compiled several sermons or however he did this, uh, Matthew, uh, well, the Sermon on the Mount, it's more than one chapter, is just incredible. Um, it's an incredible resource for us to go back to as Christians. It's an incredible resource for people who are not Christians to know what Jesus, what his expectations are for, for his followers and how he desires for them to live their lives. And it's, it's really helpful um, even for people who grew up in church because a lot of times if we grow up in church, we, we kind of adopt some um, behaviors that not, that, not that they're not biblical, but sometimes we don't know the heart behind some of the things that we do. And then other times, maybe we've, we've got a religious uh, ritual in place, but we, we don't even know if what we're doing is the right thing to do. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's extremely convicting. It's one of those passages that I try to go back to often, and I try to read often, because it, there are so many simple teachings in here, and yet they're so hard to do and to live out. And so it's a constant reminder of how I can be more like Christ and, and honor him because these are the things that he desired for us to do. And so a part of the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with the Beatitudes. And so he's saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying some different, um, every time he starts a sentence, it's blessed are, and he tells who's blessed, and then why they're blessed. And so um, we're going to look at verse 7 this morning, because it will go with what we're going to look at later on in the chapter. And it's this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So let me ask you a question. Um, for those of you who didn't do well in school, you don't, I know that a, a teacher or someone like that quizzing you from the front of the room can be intimidating, um, but bear with me. Who, according to Matthew 5, 7, who will receive mercy? Man, you guys are good. That's right. The merciful. I'm so proud of y'all. Um, if, if I had, like, some cheeses or something, I'd pass them around right now, y'all. 
That was, that was a good job. Uh, exactly. The merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's important for us to know that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to put our faith and trust in him, if we're, if we're born again and we're ready to do things his way, then his way is for us to be merciful. Let's think of the Lord's Prayer. Um, how many of y'all grew up saying that after or before a football game or, or some, some group time you repeated the Lord's Prayer? A few of y'all? Okay. So um, someone tell me, how does it start? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what? All right, that's good. That's good. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend like y'all were just saying the same thing. Okay. All right. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as... So we forgive... Uh, we ask him to forgive us as we have forgiven others. As, we could replace that with like, right? So, if we're going to ask for forgiveness, what do we need to be willing to do? Forgive others. And forgive us as we have forgiven. So, Do you want to be forgiven of everything or just some of the things that you've done? We want to be forgiven of everything. So how should we forgive others? Completely. We should forgive them of everything. Now, how many of you know that this is easier said than done? Yeah. Um, Rose and I were watching a movie the other night, and I cannot suggest the movie for three reasons. One, language is pretty rough. Two, there's this uh, monologue that this woman, who's not necessarily a good guy in the uh, movie, but still, she gives this monologue about God that I did not appreciate. So, two, warning number two. And then uh, number three, I wept through the entire movie. It was so sad. It's called, uh, what's the name of it, Marriage Story, it was on Netflix, and it's about divorce, and as a child of divorce, it's like, I I don't care how old I get, I'm 38 years old, and when when I'm watching a movie like that, I'm nine years old, I'm I'm back to when my parents were going through their divorce, and um, with that, with divorce, comes a lot of bitterness of, from so many different angles. And if you've been divorced, if you are a child of divorce, if your friends have been divorced, you know what I'm talking about. We've all been affected by divorce. And, I'll, you know, we, we know, like, uh, it, it affects so much. And, it, and it, if we're not careful, it can lead to anger that plants roots of bitterness in our hearts and in our soul that spread, and how many of us know people who are like that, 
Some of us in this room, we might be that person. I've been there when I'm not on guard, when I'm not careful. I was there before I became a Christian. I remember when I was about 20 years old, I read this book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. It's one of the best books I've ever read in my life, and I I encourage anyone in here, if, if you want a good book to read, read Total Forgiveness. It's an incredible book. But when I read it, it broke me. It ruined me. I I literally had to go in a room by myself and just read a few paragraphs at a time because God was revealing the wickedness within me, the the total um, lack of forgiveness that I had in my heart during that season of my life. And, And if we're not careful... We, it is very easy for us to withhold forgiveness from others. But we want God to forgive our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses that others have committed, right? As we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And that's not just, you know, we don't have the power to um, forgive their sins in a, in a spiritual sense of the, of, of, uh, covering their sins and making them clean, but we have the responsibility of forgiving others because Christ has told us to, and he's told us to be like him. Now, the interesting thing, as we're about to look a little bit further in in Matthew chapter 5, the interesting thing about forgiveness is that when it comes to God, forgiveness is initiated by the unguilty party. What do I mean by that? I mean, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't sin against us. Jesus has never done us any wrong. And yet, where does our forgiveness come from? Jesus. And from a human perspective, can we say that we've never sinned against anyone? Or say that we've never done wrong? No, we cannot say that. We're guilty. And so, of course, we should forgive. If Jesus, if God is willing to forgive sinners who have sinned against him more than any sin has ever been done against any human, sin is against God, and he is able to forgive. And so we have to be able to forgive. And look, this is a hard subject. And honestly, when we're talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness, God's word in my sermon this morning might be uncovering something that is really, really difficult, that you will not be able to work out without some miracle of God before we take the Lord's Supper this morning. In fact, I would say that there is some of us in this room who have levels of unforgiveness where we need to see a counselor or someone who can walk us through the process of forgiveness because of the deep wrongs that have been committed against us in our lives. Many of us in this room have experienced unspeakable atrocities at the hands of others. I I think about um, there's going to be a speaker at the evangelism conference, as as long as nothing has changed. Um, And he is a pastor from Alabama. And the evangelism conference is a conference I'm going to tomorrow in Little Rock for the next couple of days, the state evangelism conference. And uh, this speaker... He, his son was murdered. And I cannot, I cannot imagine what that is like. 
And this man visits the man who murdered his son in prison. This man and his family have basically adopted the man who murdered their kid. He's led him to Christ. He prays for him. And he says that he has forgiven him. That's forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is? It's when we put the Son of God on a cross and humans kill him and the Father is able to forgive. From the cross, Jesus is able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's forgiveness. And so... I understand how difficult forgiveness can be, but that does not give us an excuse to hold on to unforgiveness. Uh, Rose and I, we've been here. We accepted the call to be your pastor over three years ago now. And in that time, I have seen uh, unbelievable kindness. I have seen um, just, I love you guys. I've seen so many things about you individually uh, that is just incredible. And when when we moved here, we didn't know about any of that. You know, we knew y'all were, you know, cool first impression, or we wouldn't have come, right? That, uh, I mean, it's m- mainly the way Shirley dresses. She's not here this morning, so I'll pick on her. But uh, but th- there were some other cool things about you guys, um, but. You guys are incredibly welcoming, incredibly loving, and, and that's, look, I, when I'm hard on you, I, I just want you to know that I love you, right? Um, but I also know that there's a lot of us in this room who struggle with forgiveness. We've, we've struggled with forgiving people who have wronged us. We've struggled with people who are still wronging us. We struggle with, um, with unforgiveness in general. And unforgiveness, it doesn't just, I mean, first of all, the people who have wronged us, they probably are glad that we're mad, right? A lot of times, they don't care about us, especially if they're still wronging us and still doing wrong, they might, they might care about us, but there's a part of them that they probably did what they did to get you upset, so you're just helping them along in their success of that goal. Forgiveness is not just for the person who has wronged us. Forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness is healing to us. I mean, how many of us know we can look around and see it? And even if we can't see it in ourselves, we can look around us and we can see what unforgiveness and bitterness does to a person. And if we don't forgive, if we withhold forgiveness and we become bitter, who is that hurting the most? Us. And so it's like, it's, it's like this disease that just gets a hold of us and just spreads, and it affects everything. First, it affects us, and it affects our family and friends, those closest to us. It affects the way we do our job. It affects the way that we love people beyond those, that inner circle, and it affects the way we love God and live for him. And we cannot be like Jesus gives these parables in the New Testament. And he says, 
that there's this man who owes the king a debt. It's a lot of money. And he comes to the king and he begs for his life. He begs to be spared. And the king sees what he believes is sincerity and he forgives his debt. And he releases the man from prison. And that man goes and he finds a man in town who owes him just a few dollars. And he tells the man, you better pay me my money or you're going to be in jail. Well, you see the hypocrisy in that, right? He owed a lot and was forgiven much and was spared, his life was spared. And here's a man who just owes him a few dollars and he's threatening to have him thrown in jail. Now, why is that parable given? It's given to show us that that is us. God has forgiven us of all of our sin. He has forgiven us of all of our trespasses. And all we're asked to forgive people for are the trespasses that they've done against us, which even as great as they could be, are not going to be in comparison to all of the totality of our sin and the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And so we have to be careful. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it, or sorry, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. We all know that, right? And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. All right? I'm not going to ask you how many of you have murdered because um, you probably need to go to the cops first before you raise your hand in church. But I will ask how many of you have ever been angry against a brother, against another person? We're liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So anybody ever been mad at someone and called them a name? Okay. 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Does that say, and there you remember that you did something against your brother? What does it say? That your brother has something against you. This doesn't even say that they're right. It just says that they have something against you. Let's see what the next verse says. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then Come and offer your gift. We have to be careful about the way that we come to church and, and we think that coming to church is going to like remedy a whole bunch of stuff. And I, it's good. It's a good thing to come to church. I mean, I'm a pastor. I want you here, right? I want you to give gifts, of financial gifts, gifts of your time, gifts of your energy and your talents. I, I want you to do that. I want you to be faithful to the Lord in that. But I do not want you to think that your gifts will cover your sins. I do not want you to think that what we do for God will appease Him. Because it will not. We are only made right with God by grace. It is a gift to us. It's not by anything that we've done. It's, by, it's through faith. By grace, through faith. And so, when we're sitting at the altar... And we have this gift, while we're singing songs ready to raise our hands, while we're, whatever form of 
gift you're about to give to God, whatever form of worship you're about to give to God, even if you're literally at the altar, according to this verse, and you remember that someone has something against you, unity is so important in the church and in God's kingdom that he desires for us to stop giving the gift and go get right with whoever has something against us. And so, oftentimes, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're taking it without really considering what's going on in our heart. So in the past, we've looked at different things before we've taken the Lord's Supper. And obviously, this time, we're looking at anger and unforgiveness, bitterness. And before you take the Lord's Supper, is your heart right? Some of you might need to leave before we even take the Lord's Supper to go get right with somebody. And then come back to me this week. We'll figure out a way for you to have the Lord's Supper. Some of our deacons who are ready to serve this morning, maybe you just need to sit on the front pew this morning and you spend time with God. I need to make sure that my heart is right before we take the Lord's Supper. Is there any unforgiveness? And not only what about who we need to forgive, what about the people who have something against us? What about when we've done something? And I know this is difficult, and uh, it's difficult, more difficult for some people than others. Rose knows that uh, I have a hard time saying I'm sorry. Um, I try to do it. I strive to do it. It might take me a little while to swallow my pride and get ready to do it. But I had this uh, college professor. He wasn't even a Christian. And he was talking about, um, because, you know, I'm very manly. Y'all know that, right, how manly I am? So in my poetry class, um, I don't know why y'all are laughing. I'm proud of my degree in English. But anyway, uh, in my poetry class, uh, we were talking about relationships. And this is a man who had been divorced, and so he was speaking from what he learned, and in, in the divorce was his fault, so he's speaking of what he's learned from that. And, uh, and he says that um, you can be right or you can be in relationship. And what he meant by that is, uh, how many of you have ever been in a fight where both parties think they're right? At some point, if you refuse to budge, you can be right or you can be in relationship. And when it comes to what God desires for us to be, he doesn't say here, if your brother has something against you, and he's right. You were wrong. They're right. Go get right with them. He doesn't say that. He says, if your brother has something against you, then you go. You leave. Leave your gift. Go to that person. Get right. Then come back and give your gift. And so we have to remember that our responsibility as Christians is to be in unity, is to be right with other believers, to be right with other people. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come out and offer your gift. Verse 25, he, he continues with another example. Come, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So he's saying, hey, look, if you're willing to go to court over your disagreements, 
um, then you're in the judge's hands. You just, just wait and see what happens if you let it go that far. And as Christians, if, if both parties are believers, we should do everything in our power to reconcile our differences before it comes to that point. And let me give you the bigger example. How many of you want to reconcile your differences with God before you're standing before the judgment seat? I, I don't want to stand before the judgment seat and be held accountable for what I've done in my life. I want his mercy. I want his grace. And if we want those things, and we're asking for God to forgive our trespasses, then we have to forgive those who have trespassed against us. We have to leave the altar when a brother has something against us, and we have to make it right. And look, I'm not trying to talk y'all into anything you don't want to do. That is God's job. My job is to preach the word and to tell you what this says, and then God is convicted from there. So hopefully we're all in this room. All of us have worked through our unforgiveness. All of us have forgiven others. All of us have gotten right with people who have things against us. All of us are, are good to go, hopefully. But if, if you haven't, then I'm trusting God to let you know that you haven't. And if you haven't, then one of the best examples that you can set for us as a leader in this church or just, just a regular person in the pew is to make sure that you're willing to look foolish by leaving your gift at the altar and, and going and getting that right than going through with something that you know you shouldn't go through with. There are warnings against taking the Lord's Supper and, and uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and they have been doing these things, a lot of them of which we will be reading about when we study Jeremiah. Um, they have been, there's not the unity that they should have in the church and they've been having these parties when it comes to the Lord's Supper, these big feasts, and the poor people, they're not even inviting them to be a part of it. So if you have stuff, then great. The Lord's Supper is a great time. If you don't, then you're being left out. And Paul's like, that is not the Lord's Supper. What are you doing? You've got to get this right. You've got to fix this. And there are warnings against us remembering Jesus through the Lord's Supper and remembering what he did and doing that with sin in our heart or doing it in, in, in a wrong way. And so, my challenge to you this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper is, is your heart ready to do that? I'm going to ask Ms. Pauline, if you don't mind, if you would play something. And we're just going to have a time where the piano plays. Larry, if you don't mind going to get them from Children's Church. <laughs>